Good morning. So I'm just passing Cindy a note. <laughs> That's why I didn't have the microphone turned on. <laughs> no, passing notes in class, yes. <laughs> um, I hope you've had a week walking with Jesus. Um, let me just stop and pray because I want to. Um, Father, we're looking at a passage of your, your word this morning that is messy. And we thank you for your messy grace. Help us to hear you this morning and walk away from here changed. And we love you heaps. Amen. So we're continuing... Is this sitting funny? Um, We're continuing our our message on popular or well-known people in the the Bible. Can I do anything to solve that? Thus saith the Lord. (laughs) Um, Donnie did mention... Do you want me to pick up a real one? All right. So the bingo sheets are down here. Um, if adults want to do them as well, just a warning if you've just started, I may have already said one of the words on the bingo sheet. <laughs> I may not have. Um, we're looking at the, the, the well-known characters or people of the Bible and messy grace. So far, Donnie and I have looked at Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and how their lives and relationship with God didn't just go from strength to strength. It was messy. God's grace is messy. Who here comes from a normal family? (laughs) Oh, sorry, I just laughed. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not going to say anything there. <laughs> who who comes from a family that <laughs> people telling them that their children put your put your hand up? You come from a normal family. Who comes from a family that at some point in your childhood you learnt wasn't quite right? <laughs> Tj, put your hand up. <laughs> Was there a time when you went to a friend's house and they didn't do things the same way you were used to? Maybe they did something crazy, like they all sat around the table together and ate dinner. And you sat there and thought, this is not how my family does things. Or was it when you got married and your new in-laws did things differently? One difference for me was when I got married, the the Christmas greeting, the the kiss-on-the-cheek greeting... Staffords don't touch each other. <laughs> As a general rule. And so when I, when I would get married, to, like our, our greetings were a simple hi from a distance and a wave. And there's distance between us, and this was our intimate greeting. COVID safe. Um, so when I joined a family who hug each other and kiss cheeks as a form of greeting, my brain melts and I suddenly become really awkward. Because do I actually kiss the cheek or is it just like just off the cheek? Do I, you see, there's different answers right there. Do I turn my head or do they turn their head? And is it rude to just avoid this whole thing and hide until the, kiss, the cheek kissing is over? That's my approach. <laughs> we, we all pick up things from our families, both good and bad, that we think are normal, but maybe not so much. 
And the family we're looking at this, this morning is no different. And what I found really interesting with this family is that Joseph gets a lot of press. Does Jesus come from the line of Joseph? Let me ask you this question. You can finish it. The lion of Judah. Jesus comes from the line of Judah, which is, is, is strange. Because out of the 12 choices that God has before him here, he chooses Judah. So last week we saw a man who, apart from some youthful arrogance, appears to have obeyed God and the command that was given to Abraham to walk before God blameless. Because that was a phrase that was given to Abraham, walk before me blameless and I will be your God. So that's their covenant at the moment. It's a little bit vague for me, but that's what they had. And this guy, we saw last week, he was tempted with power and money and other things. And yet he resisted. Even, he even resi resisted taking revenge on his brothers when he had the perfect opportunity. And then we have Judah, who in that same story, we saw he, he was involved in some pretty shady behavior. He, he, um, it was his idea to sell Joseph. We can make some money out of this. And then he was part of the brothers going to Jacob and deceiving his father. This is the man that God chose for his line. Not the righteous man we just spoke about, Joseph. <laughs> it's come through Judah. Jacob had 12 sons, and today I'm going to focus on Judah, the fourth son, because in a way everything that happened with Joseph was for one purpose, to protect Judah through the famine and keep Judah's line alive. Talk about messy grace. But as we've just seen, God has some work to do in Judah's life. Last week, Donnie pointed out that names in the Bible mean something, and in this case, names recount a story, and it's Leah's story. Leah has a first child, and she names him, who we're in Genesis 29 at the moment, if you want to follow along with me, she names him Reuben, which means, oh look, a son. Then she has a second child and she calls him Simeon, which means to hear, that, that hearing. And the third, num the third son's name was Levi, which means to be joined, and Judah means praise. So the story is Leah's story, and it's this. Behold, I've given you a son. Surely you will love me now. God has heard that I'm unloved. Here's a second son. Now I've given you a third son. Surely my husband will be joined to me now. The fourth son, I'm going to praise God. All of these sons were sons of a man whose name meant the deceiver, the heel grabber. And like we pick up things from our families, Jacob's sons picked up a few of their father's traits which is where we'll pick up the story. So in Genesis 37, we see that it's Judah who says, we can gain some money out of selling our brother. Let's do that. And we can do it without laying hands on him. <laughs> that deceiving spirit's there, isn't it? I can do this, and it can even appear 
that I'm not doing the wrong thing. Judas sees an opportunity to gain from his situation and appears innocent at the same time. And this is the important bit because the brothers together had to plan to deceive the brother, their father. They slaughter a goat. Remember that word, goat. A kid. And they cover the technicolor dream coat with its blood and then they take the coat to Jacob and unlike the musical, they don't make a song and dance about it. <laughs> they're, they're actually very careful with their words. They say, Father, we found this thing. Examine it and recognize to see whether it's your son's robe. Can you hear the, the very careful nature of their language? You can hear their tone of voice. Um, we found this and we thought you might look at it and you know, see if you recognize it, maybe it's your son's or something. They want the coat to do the lying for them. They don't say, we found Joseph's coat covered in blood. They don't say an animal attacked him. They let Jacob make that conclusion. The brothers don't even say Joseph's name. They say, your sons. <laughs> These guys are well-versed in deception. Jacob did recognize the coat and he became inconsolable. And while Jacob was still grieving, he was maybe a little bit melodramatic, Judah went through a montage. Now, I shared a montage on Facebook this week. Who looked at it? One. You guys missed out. So when, when you go back home and you look on the Facebook page, watch the montage, and I do, I dare you not to cry at the end of it. Now, if you don't cry at the end of it, come and see me. <laughs> it, it's a very emotional montage, and it's very similar to the one that we now go into. The Bible has a montage in it. And this is it, because we've just come from Jacob who says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down to Sheol with my son. I'm uncontrollable. No, I won't be happy ever again. And then we get, because one of his sons died. And this, we get this, um, this one for Judah. It says, he went down from his brothers. He met a woman. Doesn't name the woman. He gets married, has a kid, names him Ur, has another kid named him Onan and has another kid and named him Sheila. And then his oldest son gets married to a woman named Tamar. Then the montage turns a little bit. It goes a bit darker. We've had all the happy events. Now we get the dark events. Uh, Ur dies. Onan marries Tamar. Onan dies. Tamar moves back to her father's household to wait for the third son to come of age. And then after a long time, Judah's wife dies. And all this happens in 12 verses. It's like dot points, isn't it? Jacob can't be consoled because one of his sons dies. Judah's just smacking through it. Two of his sons are dead and he's, his wife's died. He's still moving on. No consoling Judah. No need. And the story can begin now because a story of messy grace. It's a story of messy grace involving some wordplay, which is why I want you to remember the word goat, and some things and a kid. According to the custom, when Ur died, Tamar was to marry the next son and these children were to be considered Ur's children. This was a way of providing for the widowed women. Judah obeyed this custom until his second son also died. 
And two things are going on here. One is that God's breaking this pattern. The pattern of the world was the oldest son carries on everything from the family. And we've already seen that that's not the case with God and his people, Jacob and Esau, Isaac and Ishmael, Reuben and Judah. And this story even ends with another one, (laughs) Perez and Sarah. God's breaking a pattern of the world. But today we're looking at Judah, and Judah didn't want Sheila to marry Tamar because he thought that Sheila might die like his brothers. It's not clear if Judah knew what his, his other sons had been wicked in the sight of the Lord. So remember that phrase, walk blamelessly before the Lord. We get the phrase, they were wicked in the sight of the Lord. So whatever they did, they were doing the opposite to what the covenant had said. That was the reason they died. But what, re- ne- what happens next just staggers me because Judah is not an observant man. Tamar knows the custom and she knows that Sheila has come of age and yet she is still living as a widow. So she had the plan of deception of her own. And she put on a veil and sat at the entrance of a town Judah was heading to. And a few things happen in this little section. Judah makes an assumption. And he does something with Tamar that he should not have done with his daughter-in-law. We have kids here, so we don't need to go into detail, but my response is, really? Like, at no point did he hear Tamar's voice and go, gee, it sounds a bit familiar. At, at no point in what happened did the veil just go to the side or something? Does it really stay intact the whole time? Was there, was there no signs at all? Apparently not. Anyway, the story goes on. He didn't even have any money on him, so he promises to send her a goat. But Tamar is business savvy and she asks for something that Judah would need so that she knows that she's going to get her payment. You know how you forget to pay your petrol and you leave your license there? The same deal. Like, I've forgotten my money for the petrol, I'll leave my license here and I'll come back with the money. I've forgotten money for this, so here's my staff and my seal and my something else. What was it? The seal and the cord and the staff. Now Tamar finds that she's pregnant and she returns to her widow's life. Judah sends the goat, but he couldn't find her and decides to cut his losses, as that's probably the smartest thing he's done so far. It doesn't take long before Judah finds out that Tamar is pregnant. And Judah, so quick again, so quick to do things, this man, says, let's put her to death. Like, finds out she's pregnant, let's put her to death. And here's the punchline. I love this. This is like the best punchline ever. We've gone so fast. And so the the punchline is, as she was being taken out to be killed, Tamar says, by the man to whom these things belong, I have conceived. Do you happen to recognize these things? And do you see it? (laughs) Judah's before his father going, I found this thing. Do you recognize it? And now his daughter-in-law is saying, I found these things. Do you you recognize them? And, And we know he did. And this is, this is a knockout blow, isn't it? For Judah, he knows exactly what has just happened. 
And his response is, she is more righteous than I. I am the one who has failed to walk before the Lord blameless. Tamar was seen as the innocent one. She was acting according to her, her customs. And we can see the contrast of these two deceptions. Judah's deception hid the truth from his father. He used wordplay and a kid to lead his father to believe that Joseph had died. He let the thing, Joseph's coat, do the lying. And the word recognize allowed his father to create the whole narrative of how Joseph died without Judah having to actually say the words. <laughs> Tamar's deception was not to hide the truth but to reveal the truth. She used wordplay and the kid to reveal Judah's failure to perform his responsibilities. She let some things, the seal and the cord and the staff, do the talking. And with the word recognize, Judah was confronted with his own moral failure. And after this life-changing detour, we have to go back to Genesis 43. So we've come back into the story we now know more as Joseph's story. And Judah is again put into the position of making a choice to walk before God blameless or to succumb to self-preservation and selfish gain. After a bit of back and forth, Simeon is left in Egypt because from, from the brother's perspective, that harsh, harsh man named Zephanath Paneah, the Egyptian responsible for the grain, insisted that they bring Benjamin back. Jacob is now faced with a choice. And we've got another echo happening here. <laughs> Abraham was once asked to let go of the son he loved. And Abraham made the choice to let go of that son, trusting God with what would happen to the son he loved. Jacob is given the same chance, same option or same... <laughs> same thing is set before Jacob to let the son that he loves go. So let Benjamin go. And Judah, talking to his dad, said, The man warned us solemnly that you may not see my face again unless your brother is with you. If you will send your brother along with us, we will go down and we will buy food. Israel asked, Why did you bring this trouble on me? And then Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the boy along with me. I will be his guarantee. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, I will bear the blame before you my whole life. As this staggers me. The change in Judah's heart. Going from let's sell Joseph to I will be the sacrifice. I will be the substitute. And just like a substitute for Isaac was found, Judah becomes a substitute for Jacob's youngest son. And in chapter 44 of Genesis, we see that, that Judah does indeed need to offer himself as Benjamin's replacement. And it was this act, it was when Judah said he would be the substitute for Benjamin, this was the act that let Zephanathaniah reveal to the brothers, who he was. Because they hadn't recognised, there's that word again, they hadn't recognised Joseph this whole time. 
The deceitful heart of Judah was now a self-sacrificing heart. Judah had now started to walk before the Lord blameless. So I want to finish, Dan, if I can get you to come up. I've changed the plans a little bit. I want to finish with a time of contemplative prayer. It is something different. It's something that I have not done in any Baptist churches in my history. It's something I've not done in any of the churches I've attended much in my history, and I've attended a few different ones. So I get that it's a bit different, and I get that we get distracted. Do I look like someone who focuses all the time? I get distracted, and that's okay, which is why I think this sort of practice for me is really important. If you get distracted like me, and you realise you've been distracted, just bring your thoughts back. So put your feet flat on the ground. If you can, sit comfortably. Put your hands in an open position towards God. Some people find that open. Some people find this open. I'm, I'm, I'm very much a, a very low-key person. It's all good. And take a deep breath. Father, today we've heard the story of Judah. And he lived under the old covenant, which for him was to walk before you blameless. But Judah was selfish, and he acted for personal gain. At his brother's expense. He was deceptive, and he lied to his father. Yet you, in this messy grace, chose to work through him. And this messy grace saw massive change in Judah's heart. His deception was easily explained by being the son of the, dece- the deceiver. But this needed a change in order to walk before the Lord blameless. Father, we're under the new covenant. You have left us with the command to love you with all that we are and to love our neighbour as ourselves. Father, we come to you this morning to ask that you reveal in us those things that we've learnt in our families, that we've learnt in our culture, that need to be changed for us to be able to love you and love our neighbour. Let God speak to you now. Ask him to identify something in you. And you might want to close your hands around it. If you've got something and God said this, you might want to close your hands around it. Describe it to God. Let him know that you've understood. And now turn your hands over and let it go. imagine it falling to the floor don't try to stop it Father we ask this week that you continue working in our hearts take these things 
that we've identified this morning and mould our hearts into the hearts that are like yours. Amen. We're just going to close the service with a young person coming to read the benediction for us. bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. See you guys next week.